of is that God has given us an opportunity through an individual who has said that if we raise $4,000 by the end of the year, that they will match it. We're not there yet. You need to look in your bulletin. So I do want you to be thinking about that $4,000 and what God is calling you to give in that particular situation. Um, And I'm really serious about that. What is God calling you to give, not what am I telling you to give? But be praying about that and thinking about that, particularly as you go through this period of time where you're planning the gifts that you're going to give to your loved ones, your colleagues, and even some people that you don't particularly like, but you're obligated to. Uh, I want you to think about what is God calling you to give in this period of time. God's given us an opportunity. Let's, let's take advantage of that particular opportunity. Again, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to speak. As I've told you in the past, many pastors are not very excited about giving up their pulpit. I don't think Pastor Day is particularly excited about it, but I appreciate him doing it. Um, in my life, most of my life, I have preached twice on Sunday, done a Wednesday evening prayer meeting and Bible study, and then often something else while I was being principal of an elementary school. And uh, I could easily preach every day. That would be a really good thing. But for whatever reason, God has not called me to do that. But I do appreciate the opportunity from time to time. Some of you in here are old enough to remember Sherman and Dr. Peabody. Do you remember that cartoon? Sherman, yeah. Well, it just so happened this week, I was planning to read the first chapter of the book of Luke to you. And uh, so I do want you to go home and read that if you haven't already read it. But rather than do that, I happened to get a hold of Dr. Peabody, who offered to give me a... uh, a audio copy of a of uh, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah uh, talking about what had happened to them, and so it's in audio. So we're going to ask that that audio to be played, and so listen now as Dr. Peabody has given us this particular uh, audio. Hello, friends. My name is Zachariah. Over 2,000 years ago, I was a priest of God, but my wife Elizabeth here, well... Well, let's just say that I couldn't have any children, and that made us really sad because we wanted to have a child. We just couldn't. But then, one day, when it was my turn to go to the temple in Jerusalem and burn the good-smelling incense for God in the sanctuary, an angel suddenly appeared and stood beside me. I was really scared because I had never seen an angel before. But the angel told me not to be afraid. He said his name was Gabriel and that God had sent him to tell me that God was going to answer our prayers for a son. God was going to make Elizabeth's body be able to have a child. But the angel, Gabriel, said I had to name the son John when he was born. And he said that my son John was going to be a great preacher filled with God's Holy Spirit and that he was going to get people ready to listen to God. Well, all of this was pretty amazing. So I asked the angel, Gabriel... How can I be sure that what you are telling me is true? You see, I didn't know if I believed him or not. So then, to prove that he was really an angel, he did come from God. Gabriel made it so that I couldn't talk anymore. And that's what happened. Zechariah came home from the temple and he couldn't talk. And I did become pregnant. I was so happy. When the, te- when the time came for the baby to be born... Everyone thought it would name the baby Zechariah Jr. or something like that after his dad. 
But I didn't. I named him John because that's what the angel had told Zechariah to name him. But everyone just thought I was being crazy naming my baby John. So Zechariah got out a piece of paper and wrote, his name is John. And then I could talk again because I had obeyed God. And when John grew up, he did some really great things for God and saw God do greater things through his cousin, Jesus. But you'll hear more about him another time. We got that through the courtesy of the Wayback Machine. Uh, as all of you know, that's not true, but it's, uh, it's a way to deal with that. And I do want you to read that for yourself in uh, the book of Luke. Advent, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a time of restoration and of the stirring with hope that redemption brings. It is heavy with the longing for God to rescue us and bring us back to himself. However, in our culture, Christmas is a time of rush, 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 rush. Rushing all the time. Where people are anxious and there's tension in the air. And people arrive at stores at ridiculous hours to try to get specials that they can't imagine happened that are often the result of the store having raised the price in the first place and then lowered it. We even found, uh, as we listened to the news, that there were some people injured, one person shot, in the course of this fury that is this peaceful time we call Advent. Well, the fact of the matter is, we who are Christians, we who are the church, need to have a counterculture in acting intentionally to be patient. We need to be people that can wait people that can hope. We need to re resist the urge to rush to the manger as we enter the story of Israel and they're sharing for a savior. They're longing for a savior. We need patience. We need to wait. In the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we find a microcosm of the larger story of Israel and truly the story of all creation. There is a story, it is a story that is marked by waiting and by hope. For years, they've longed for children. For years, they've been waiting, wishing, praying, and yet it hadn't been fulfilled. And as Elizabeth got older, it seemed that it would never be fulfilled. They would never have that precious baby, that child. That child that also indicated a status in society for Elizabeth that she didn't have because she didn't have the baby. They were exiled in the desert of waiting. And they thought, we'll never see the promise. We'll never see the promise. And that's the sense that marks the Advent season. It's a time of waiting, a time of longing. It's a season of hope. In Romans, the third chapter, verses 22 through 24, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 
excuse me. We remember our separation from God. Separation because of sin. Our hearts ache for his deliverance. We are trapped without him. Trapped in sin and condemnation. And yet there is a promise. There is a promise. We see that promise in Isaiah, the ninth chapter, when it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his, and the, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will, dis- he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. The nation of Israel longed for their deliverance. They looked for a Messiah that would establish them again before God. They had sinned. They had been unfaithful. They are carried into captivity. And in the captivity, they hope that they can return. And they look for a Messiah that will come. And they searched. And they searched for this Messiah. The longing of Israel for the promised Messiah. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, their hope waned. There seemed to be a silence from God. Would it ever happen? Would it ever become a reality, the hope of the Messiah? Despite Zechariah's disappointment, Zechariah stood in his place in worship. Now for Zechariah, this was probably a one-time event in his entire life. By this time of history, there were so many in his tribe that had the right to serve in the temple that they waited their turn for years and years. And so it was time for Zechariah to serve. And even though the promise for a child had never been fulfilled for him, though they had prayed and looked for a child and the child didn't come, yet Zechariah was faithful and he went to worship. He didn't let his heartbreak become bitterness against God. He's in the temple worshiping, faithfully at work as a priest, when God breaks into his worship and reveals a miraculous message. An angel appeared to him and proclaimed, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Interesting, I'm always interesting with that. This angel show up and they say, do not be afraid. You know, that's one of those interesting things that happen is the very thing that would frighten you is telling you, do not be afraid. And here it is. Isn't this a great promise? The promise of Advent? Do not be afraid is the message of the Advent Your prayer has been heard is the message of the Advent. All are in a desperate need for a Savior, and God heard our prayers. 
Advent is a reminder that we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. He is moved with compassion and mercy, and he answers us. He answered them. What prayer remains unanswered in your life? What longing has yet to be fulfilled? What need do you have? What fear do you have? What obstacle threatens you? Do not be afraid. The one thing we know about God is that he hears. We are not speaking to a God of stone or wood in shapes of man or animal, but rather we're, we're speaking to the living God who for whatever reason that we cannot understand loves us and hears us. Your prayer has been heard. The strange, strange things happen when God draws near. When Jesus shows up, life begins to stir in impossible places, from the barren womb to the empty tomb. Life springs up where we least expect it. Isn't it beautiful that God fulfills the age-old longing of Israel by answering the prayer of a small but faithful family? He sets into motion a plan that will rescue all creation and brings by, brings by answering the prayer of a single woman. It's so like God, simultaneously accomplishing huge things. And in the course of accomplishing these huge things, he answers the prayer of a single, humble woman and her husband. Through that small act, he affects all of history. All of history is changed because God acts in the case of two people who have been faithful, who have been praying. Despite this miracle unfolding before our eyes, despite the thrill of the long-awaited news, Zechariah responds with a question. How can I be sure of this? Can't you imagine, just for a minute, you have an angel flaming with all the light of heaven surrounding him? And Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? And you sort of wonder if the angel didn't go, what do you want? Exactly what do you want? With all of this that you say, what do you want? But remember, Zechariah had been praying for years. He had been looking for years for a son, a child, to be born. This is just like him to fulfill the need of a small individual and affect all of history. Despite, so um, he goes on to list the obstacles to this happening. Zechariah reminds the angel of all the things that could go wrong. And probably would go wrong, he thought. He's too old. His wife is too old. How can it possibly happen? This kind of thing doesn't happen for people like us. God doesn't hear people like us. After all, we're nothing. 
Why, isn't you, why aren't you going to the king? Why isn't something more important than we are? Yeah, we've been praying for it. But did we really expect it? Apparently not. Apparently not. And so it happens often with our prayers, isn't it? We pray for something, but we don't really expect that God's going to do anything about it. And yet we know that he loves us and that he hears and answers prayer. And so as a result, Zachariah's ability to speak is taken away from him until the child is born. I can just think about those who surrounded him in the temple, wanting him to answer questions, to talk to them, and he goes, you know, whatever. However, he indicates he can't talk. Why? Does this mean that God punishes you for asking questions? Certainly not. He welcomes our sincere questions. He's big enough to handle them and help us to wrestle with them. Do not be afraid to question, to give a question to God. He knows that when you ask questions, it's a sign that you think he just possibly might be able to accomplish this. In fact, Mary also asked a question, you know. Uh, when the angel Gabriel came and appeared to her. And her question was, how will this be since I'm still a virgin? Well, that's a good question too. How can this happen? In Zechariah's case, however, we have a seasoned priest who wants to know how he can be sure that God will do what has been promised. How can he be sure? In Mary's case, she was asking the logistics of how it's going to happen. Okay, this is going to happen, but I don't understand how it can happen because of the condition that I'm in, in the situation I'm in. In Zechariah's case, however, it's a seasoned priest. But Advent teach, if Advent teaches us anything, it is that God is in the business of bringing about the impossible. God is, bring, is in the business of bringing about the impossible, often not when we want it, but when it's needed. Not the way we would choose for it to happen, but the way that he plans to accomplish his, his will. His will. After generations of waiting, after longing and hoping for a Messiah, for the darkness to be lifted, for the first sign of dawn, we see that God is on the move. And the impossible starts to become the commonplace as the time draws near. What do you struggle with? What's the problem that you have that you continue to wait for and it just never seems to come? Can you remember when you were a child at Christmas? And it seemed like it took forever to get there? You know, if you, if you think back on that, for those of us that are a bit older, if you think back on that, that distance between Thanksgiving and Christmas, today is, our is the distance between Christmas and Christmas in the way we feel. Things go so fast. But when you were a child, it just seemed like it never would come. There was the tree in my house. There was the tree, and there were gifts under the tree, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I had to wait. In our case, we waited till Christmas morning. In Beverly's case, they did it Christmas Eve. 
by the way, it worked out really well when we got married. Because Christmas Eve, we'd be at her, home, her parents' home, and then we'd get in the car and drive really fast. And Christmas morning, we'd be at my home, my mother's house. And, and that's the way it worked. So that worked out really well for us. But as a child, I can remember waiting. We lived in Sunland in the Little Tahunga Wash, for those of you that don't know where it happened, where it is. Today, there is nothing where we lived, still. It's pretty much desert where we lived. We had no electricity at that time. We had running water because we're Southern California and where are you going to get the water? We had running water. We had a uh, place outside the house for the needs that we had that scared me to death at night when I went out there because I was sure rattlesnakes were there. But we had no electricity, so our tree was decorated with that in mind. No electricity. And yet as a child, I would wake up well before the family and I would go out into what served us as the living room and there was the most beautiful tree. That tree, I am certain, was not as beautiful as it seems to me today. And I had to wait. In my household, you did not want to wake Dad up if it wasn't time for him to get up. That was not a good idea. And so I would wait. And I would wait. They would sleep for another 10 hours (laughs) while I was waiting. Well, you know, that's not true. But I had to wait. What do you have today where you're like that child? You've asked God. You're seeking an answer. You're waiting for the answer. And it seems like it will never come. What do you struggle with in waiting? How can you practice this difficult discipline during this Christmas season, this discipline of being willing to wait patiently? How do you see the story of Israel aligning with your own life? Some of us have children that we worry about because they've not yet made that commitment to Christ. And some of us with husbands or wives that are in the same area and we wait. But we need to practice the discipline of waiting and of being a consist, living a consistent Christian life in their lives. A consistent Christian life in their lives. And it may be at a time when we're gone before they come. But let us continue to pray. What prayers for you seem like God just doesn't hear? It just seems like he doesn't hear. And in what ways do you need God to do the impossible in your life? The impossible. With God, all things are possible. We need to learn to practice the discipline of waiting. Remember the stories from Scripture when God hears the prayers of his people and is moved with compassion But the prayers aren't always answered now. And they aren't aren't always answered the way that you expect. People in this time were expecting a Messiah. What were they expecting the Messiah to do? They were expecting the Messiah simply to restore the kingdom of David. Compared to what Christ actually did, small potatoes. They were expecting a little thing. 
God has achieved through the coming of the Messiah great things, things beyond what we can imagine. It has changed human history because God has acted. We pray today as we wait for him to act again in our nation, in our time. We pray that God will raise up a great revival, that perhaps we can have a third great awakening in our nation. 1750, the great awakening occurred. It revolutionized our nation. Our nation was founded, really based upon that first great awakening. And then in the 1840s, the second great awakening occurred, and the nation was called back to God. Friends, I pray for that third great awakening, and I wait, but I have to practice patience. Patience. I don't want to. I want God to go out and act right this minute. But my job is to live a consistent Christian life. And when the opportunity arises to share the good news of Christ with my neighbors, my families, and people I just casually run across when it's possible. It will regard that learning to be patient requires a divine cultivated patience. But hold to the hope because nothing is impossible to God. Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to pray, and even though Zechariah could hardly believe it when God told him, yet they remained faithful. God calls us to faithfulness and to practice patience, but to expect great things for him. Not necessarily the way you think it will happen, but the way God chooses it to happen. Let us pray. Father, I am thankful for your love. And to know that when I pray, I don't pray in vain. I'm not praying to a man-made thing, nor do I need to wake you up to hear, but that you hear my prayer and that you answer prayer. Give us the patience to wait. We will give you the credit for every answered prayer. We will give you credit for answering prayer we didn't know we should have made. I thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him that we can know life and that more abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.